Well, hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this week's episode, we are finishing up our sermon series on the book of Revelation. And I know that up to this point, these sermons have been a little depressing. It seems like all that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks are the problems that followers of Jesus will face. But in this episode, we're getting to the happy ending at the end of the story, and we're going to hear God's promise to everyone who remains faithful to him. So let's get right into this week's sermon. And I've said from the beginning of this series of sermons that the book of Revelation can feel overwhelming to us. It can feel confusing to us. It can feel complicated to us. But the truth is it doesn't have to be that way. So over the last few weeks, we've been trying to simplify the book of Revelation. And we've been trying to simplify the book of Revelation by looking beyond the signs and the symbols and the scenes that we encounter and see what's at the heart of this book what the real message of Revelation is. And what's at the heart of the book of Revelation? Well, at its heart, the book of Revelation is simply a message that Jesus wants his followers to hear. The book of Revelation is a message that Jesus wants his followers to hear. That's it. This big, complicated, overwhelming, difficult book is really just a message that Jesus wants his followers to hear. And Jesus wants us to hear the message inside of the book of Revelation because he knows. He knows that every one of his followers at some point or another are going to go through struggles. Jesus wants us to hear this message because he knows that every one of his followers is going to face hard times. And Jesus wants us to hear this message because he knows every one of his followers from one point or another is going to feel like quitting. But when we're going through these struggles, when we're facing these hard times, when we're feeling tempted to quit, Jesus wants us to hear the message in the book of Revelation. And we've been discovering what this message is over the last few weeks. So let me take just a minute right now and recap what we've heard so far from Jesus' message. So, so far in the book of Revelation, we have heard Jesus' message and we have heard Jesus tell us this, don't quit Because even when things look their worst, God is in charge, and God always wins. So this is the message we've heard so far. Don't quit, because even when things look their worst, God is always in charge, and God always wins. Now this morning, we're finishing up the book of Revelation, so I want to add in the last part of Jesus' message for his followers. And I told you last week that the last part of Jesus' message for his followers in the book of Revelation is the happy ending to this book. Because up until the last handful of chapters inside of the book of Revelation, there hadn't been a whole lot that should make us happy, right? I mean, it feels like most of what we've been reading about, if you've been reading through Revelation with us over the last four weeks, it feels like all we've been reading about are the struggles and the hard times and those things that make us want to quit. But in the last couple of chapters in the book of Revelation, everyone who has stood opposed to God has been defeated. And those that have followed Jesus throughout it all have received their eternal reward. So here's the last part of the message that Jesus wants all of us to hear in the book of Revelation. Don't quit, because even when things look their worst, God is in charge and God always wins. And God wants you to share in his victory. God wants you to share in his victory. 
And Revelation chapter 21 is going to tell us what that victory is like, what we get to share in. So if you have your Bible, whether it's a printed one like mine or an app on your phone, let me encourage you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. Now I'll give you a hint, this is like the last couple of chapters in your entire Bible, so it's going to be really close to the end. But Revelation 21, we're going to read the first couple of verses together. This is what we're told about our eternal reward. This is John, one of Jesus' followers, closest followers, writing this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea, the thing that had once divided us from God, was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. But the book of Revelation doesn't stop with those couple of verses. It doesn't just tell us that our eternal reward is going to be this new heaven and this new earth. It goes on to describe what that's going to be like. So if you will, skip down with me to Revelation 21, verse 15. And I just want you to hear this description of what our eternal reward is going to be like. Again, this is John speaking, and he says, The angel who spoke to me had a gold measuring rod with which to measure the city and its gates and its walls. Now the city had been laid out as a square. Its length was the same as its width. So the angel measured the city with the rod, and it was 1,500 miles, or 12,000 stades. Its length and its width and its height were all equal. He also measured the thickness of its wall. It was 216 feet thick, or 144 cubits thick, as a person, or rather in this case as an angel, measures things. The wall was built of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like pure glass. The city's wall's foundations were decorated with every kind of jewel. The first foundation was jasper, and the second was sapphire. The third was chalcedony, and the fourth was emerald. The fifth was sardonyx, and the sixth was carnelian. The seventh was chrysolite, and the eighth was beryl. The ninth was topaz. The tenth was chrysoprase. The eleventh was janseth, and the twelfth was amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was made from a single pearl. And the city's main street was pure gold, as transparent as glass. Doesn't that sound like an incredible place? Doesn't that sound like an incredible reward for those who remain faithful to following Jesus? I mean, who wouldn't want to spend eternity in a place like the one that John just described? Because we're told from John that we get to spend eternity. We get to spend eternity in this holy city that is bigger than the state of Rhode Island. And we're told that we're going to be completely safe while we're there. Now remember, up to this point in Revelation, Christians have been anything but safe. Everybody has been out to get them, but in eternity, we're told that safety will be ours. That's what that 216-foot wall represents. It represents safety and security for us. And we're not just going to be safe on the other side of eternity, it also sounds like we are going to be living in the lap of luxury when you listen to John's description. Did you pay attention to it? He tells us that the walls of the city are built of jasper and that the foundation of the city is adorned with every type of jewel imaginable, from sapphire to emeralds to topaz. It's all there. And the gates, the gates of the city are made of pearl. It's where we get the expression pearly gates from. And the streets of the city made of gold. Incredible. 
What an incredible description. It's the kind of scene that our imaginations can run wild with. But before your imagination starts running a little too wild and you start trying to figure out what your mansion in heaven's going to look like if the walls are made with every kind of stone imaginable, I've got to take a minute and bring you back down to earth for a second, okay? I've got to take a minute and I've got to bring you back down to earth because most of the time when we read this passage, when we read Revelation chapter 21, our focus is on the wrong part of the chapter. And to help you understand what I mean, I've got a picture that I want to show you this morning. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've been using a couple of classic board games to help us better understand the book of Revelation. But this morning, I don't want to talk about another classic board game. This morning, I want to talk about a classic arcade game, and it's too big, so I couldn't bring one here to show you. So instead, we have a picture. This morning, I want to talk about the classic arcade game, Skee-Ball, okay? How many of you remember playing Skee-Ball? All right, that's just about every hand up here. So since so many of you have played the game of Skee-Ball, you understand how the game works. When you're playing Skee-Ball, you take a little ball, like the one you can see just at the bottom of this picture, and you roll it down an alleyway toward a ramp. And you're supposed to roll that ball down the alley toward this ramp with enough force and enough accuracy to land in one of those numbered targets that you see a little bit further up the screen. Now, the targets are worth different points depending on how big they are or where they're at on the game. But ultimately, your goal is to score as many points as you possibly can when you're playing the game of skee-ball. So all things considered, the game of skee-ball isn't all that complex. You roll a ball... It, la- it hits a ramp, lands in a target, and you score some points for it. But I can tell you from firsthand experience that just because the concept of the game of skee-ball is simple, that doesn't mean that the game is always easy. Last weekend, Hannah and I took a trip over to Malibu Jack's out in J-Town. And if you've never been to Malibu Jack's, kind of think of Chuck E. Cheese, but it has better games while you're there. And while we th- were there, Hannah decided that she wanted to play the game of skee-ball. And i got to tell you, I was a little bit hesitant because I've been there when Hannah's played the game of skee-ball before. And the game of skee-ball takes a certain amount of coordination that most kids haven't quite mastered yet. So when Hannah's played skee-ball in the past, we've both had to duck out of the way when one of the balls she's thrown has ricocheted off the plexiglass in the front and comes sailing back toward us. I see some parents nodding because you've been there with me. So... Last weekend, when Hannah asked me to play skee-ball, if she could play skee-ball, I asked her if she was really sure that she wanted to play. She said, yes, she was sure she wanted to play, but I still wasn't so sure that I wanted to break out my matrix moves to avoid flying skee-balls at my face. So I asked her, are you really, really sure? And she said, yes. So I was the good dad, and I decided to let her play after I stretched a little bit, so I was able to move out of the way. Well, she takes the first ball and she rolls it down the alley, but she didn't roll it hard enough. So it just barely made it over the, over the ramp and went into basically the gutter of the game of skee-ball. So she didn't get any points on her first roll. So then she looks over at me and she says, Daddy, can you help? So we then take turns rolling the balls down the skee-ball alley, seeing how many points we can score. And all totaled, we managed to score about 16,000 points together, which isn't bad, but it's far from great in the game of skee-ball. But now Hannah had her confidence. She was confident in her skee-ball playing ability, and she wanted to play all by herself. So I let her. And do you want to guess how many points Hannah scored on her own? Uh, We scored 16,000 points together, right? 
She scored 17,000 points playing all by herself. Didn't need daddy's help. Fortunately, my daughter's not the kind to rub it in because I would have done that to my dad forever. But truth is, Hannah could have cared less about how many points she actually scored when she was playing skee-ball. She could care less because Hannah doesn't care about how many points she scores in a game. She only cares about the prize at the end of the game. And the prize at the end of the game of skee-ball, you probably all remember this, are the tickets that you get based on the score that you receive, right? That's the prize at the end of this game of skee-ball. And you remember those tickets you used to get from the arcade, right? Now, I'm old enough that I remember way back in the day when you went to an arcade and there was a little ticket slot down at the bottom of every single machine in there and these things that actually were tickets came out of the bottom of them. And there was no cooler experience than playing some of these games and just having a pile of tickets mounting up around your feet. You were the coolest kid in the arcade when that happened. But Hannah's never going to have that experience because they don't have real tickets anymore. Now when you go to an arcade, you get digital tickets that get loaded onto your playing card. But Hannah loves these digital tickets anyway. At the end of every single game that she ever plays when we go to an arcade, she's going to stand there and she's going to watch that little digital readout they have at the bottom of the machines instead of the ticket slot. And she's going to see how many tickets she earned for playing that game. And the more tickets she earns, the more excited she's going to get, and she's going to start bouncing around and getting more and more excited as the number grows. There was one time we went to Mr. Gaddy's, and she scored a thousand ticket bonus jackpot on one of the games she was playing, and I swear I thought my child was going to explode before we got a thousand tickets on that digital readout. And some of you are sitting here this morning, and that's exactly the way that you were feeling as you were reading Revelation 21 this week. As you were reading about the pearly gates and the streets of gold and the foundations of this city made with every jewel imaginable, you were getting excited about it. You might have even been bouncing around in your seat. You might have felt like you were going to explode because you just can't wait to get there. But here's the thing. The pearly gates and the streets of gold that the author describes in the book of Revelation They matter about as much as the stack of tickets that you get in an arcade game. The tickets are part of what happens at the arcade, but they're not the real reward for going to the arcade, right? I mean, I can tell you, in all the times that Hannah and I have ever visited a place like Malibu Jack's or Chuck E. Cheese or Mr. Gaddy's, she has never once looked at me with all these tickets on her digital card and said, I just want to put the card in my pocket and go home. I got tickets. I'm good, Dad. She's never done that. She's never done that because Hannah knows that all of those tickets that she earns are completely worthless when she walks out of the arcade. There is nothing that she can do with the tickets that she earns when she goes home. Hannah knows that the real reward for going to the arcade and playing all of those games and winning all of those tickets isn't the tickets she gets, It's the trip to the prize counter that she gets at the end of the day where she gets to cash all of those tickets in. Because at the prize counter, those tickets turn into something valuable, at least when you're seven years old. At the prize counter, those tickets can turn into a super bouncy, jumpy ball, or they can turn into a cool stuffed animal, or they can turn into a pile of Tootsie Rolls. They have value to her. So what's all this have to do with the book of Revelation? When we get caught up 
with John's description of what the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem is going to be like, when we get caught up with the pearly gates and the streets of gold, we're focusing in on the tickets instead of focusing in on the prize counter. Or to put it another way for you, our reward for following Jesus isn't the pearly gates and the streets of gold. And if you'll bear with me for a minute and think about this, it'll make sense to you. Here's what I mean. I want you to imagine yourself, just for a minute, as if you're wandering around the countryside of ancient Israel. Okay? You're wandering around the countryside of ancient Israel, and as you're walking along, you come to the edge of a person's property, and you see a fence that's there. You see a fence that's going to lead down toward a gate. So I want you to imagine for just a second, what would that gate have been made out of? The gate would have been made out of wood, right? Now imagine that you go a little further, you get a little bit closer, now you can see the house that's sitting on this property. What would the house have been made out of in ancient Israel? Maybe it would have been stacked stones, but more likely it would have been a combination of mud and straw. Now, as you start walking away from the property, imagine that you look down at your feet the road that you've been walking on along the way. What would that road have been made out of in the ancient world? Best case, it may have been cobblestones, but the reality is most of the roads in the ancient world were nothing but trampled down dirt. So in Revelation 21, John describes gates and walls and streets. And he describes what they're going to be made out of. But remember what the people were used to seeing. Remember what the people were used to seeing when they looked at walls and gates and roads in their world. They were used to seeing wood and rocks and dirt. How much are wood and rocks and dirt worth to you? Seriously. If I set up a table outside, after the service ended it, I was selling wood and rocks and dirt. How much are you going to pay me for those things? Nothing. You're not going to pay a thing to me because wood and rocks and dirt are, are, are virtually worthless to us. That's what John's alluding to when he describes this new Jerusalem to us in Revelation 21. He's telling us that everything that we've considered valuable on this earth, all the jewels, the pearls, the gold, are worth as much as wood and rocks and dirt. So those pearly gates and those streets of gold, they're not the prize. John's telling us that everything that we have thought of as being valuable on this earth means nothing in the kingdom of heaven. But John does tell us what the real prize of remaining faithful and following Jesus throughout our lives is. And we find it back in Revelation 21. I'll start reading to you in verse 3. Here's what John says. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look. God's dwelling is here with humankind. 
God will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then the one who was seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, All is done, for I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will freely give these things. Give the water of, life-giving, of a life-giving spring. Those who emerge victoriously will inherit these things. Our reward for following Jesus is that we get to spend eternity with God. It's what God's always wanted. You can think all the way back to the book of Genesis. In the beginning, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and God walked with them, All God has ever wanted is to be with us. But sin's entered into our world, and we have been separated from God. So God is telling us, on the other side of eternity, everything that once separated us from God will be done away with. And we'll get to live the way that God always wanted us to live. The way that God always intended for us to to live. And that's up close and personally, with God. And I, for one, can't imagine anything that is better than that. Not even pearly gates and streets of gold. I can't imagine anything that's better than spending eternity with God. Because God is the one who made me. God is the one who could have made anything and everything inside of this world, and God chose to make me. And God chose to make you. And that God who made me, that God who decided to make you, He made all of us on purpose, He made all of us for a purpose, and He didn't make a mistake when He did it. And because of that, God is the only one who has loved us from the, for every single moment of our existence. God is the one who has always wanted the best for us throughout our entire lives. And someday, We get to spend eternity with that God. There's no better prize than that. There's no better prize than that. So let's not focus in on what heaven might look like when we get there. Let's focus in on what our our real reward is. Our real reward for keeping the faith. Our real reward for following Jesus is that we get to spend forever with Him. We get to spend forever with Him in an eternity when there are no more struggles. There are no more hard times. There are no more things that are going to come up that make us want to quit. There's no more tears. There's no more suffering. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. All we have is an eternity with the One who loved us first, the One who loves us deepest, the One who will always love us the best and the most. That's really what's waiting for us beyond those pearly gates. It's not about living in the lap of luxury. It's about us spending forever with God. The God who made you. The God who loves you. The God who wants the best for you. Let's pray together.
God, we thank you for the time that we've spent over the last few weeks journeying together through the book of Revelation. And we thank you for this message that Jesus wants all of us to hear. This message that says, don't quit. Because no matter how bad things may look, you, oh God, are always in charge. And you, are God, always win. And you want to share that victory with us. And God, that victory is that we get to spend forever with you. The one who made us the one who loves us, for every moment of our lives, every second of our existence, the God who has always wanted the best for us, and the one who can give us that best. So God, we thank you. But we also pray that you help us to keep our faith, to continue to follow Jesus, to not quit, to not give up, no matter how hard those hard times, and no matter how difficult those struggles may be. Allow us to remain faithful. And know that you will always protect us. That you want to share your great victory with us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and thank you for listening to this week's sermon podcast. Now, I've said from the beginning of the sermon series that the book of Revelation can feel like the most complicated book in the Bible. But I hope that the last few weeks have helped you get a better understanding about what this book is really all about. And it's really a book about hope. And I hope that you have been encouraged to remain faithful to God no matter what you may be facing in your life right now. Now, next week, we're going to be starting into a brand new series of sermons on this podcast where we're going to be learning life lessons from one of my favorite board games and from one of my favorite books of the Bible. Now, that first sermon is going to drop next Tuesday, and if you subscribe to our podcast, it will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. I hope that you guys have a great week this week, and we will see you back here next Tuesday for another sermon podcast.